Wow. Oh my god. I know, I know. You're probably wearing headphones as well. It's, they're not turned up too high. I just wonder if we should just put this on at the, the cold open. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to Shut Up and Sit Down, the podcast number 48. This is a podcast all about board games, card games, table games, and hey, if you don't play those things, why don't you just keep listening to this podcast anyway? You're in the wrong place, but sometimes that's when we find the most magical places of all. My name's Quentin Smith, and today I'm joined by Paul Dean. I feel magical, because I, f- I feel like this is a, one of those more subdued fireside-type intros. I guess it's autumn now, isn't it? And we're all, we've both had colds, and we're inside away from the horrible weather. Well, this podcast is a bit of a revolution uh, in recording terms, because usually, um, Paul being in Canada and me being in London, um, I uh, we record in the evening when Paul has in the UK when Paul's just woken up but this time it's 1am it's the witching hour for Paul and I've just woken up so this I mean who knows what's going to happen or what I'm going to say frankly because (laughs) um, I mean let's be let's be honest I've said some uh, politically incorrect things on this podcast when I'm completely awake so this could be the last shut up and sit down podcast that's all I'm saying uh, That's t- good. I'm now on edge. Brilliant. Uh, I like you on edge. That's when, what do they say? Um, uh, good content is made when talented people are permanently on edge and scared together. That's not a real quote. No, the real quote is that good work gets done when um, uh, talented people have fun together. Quinton, what board games, or not just board games, what things do you want to talk about on this podcast? Well, for my side of things, I'm going to talk about playing Pax Premier, um, a game by a very interesting designer we've never covered. I'm going to talk about Shot and Totten, which is the new edition of Reiner Knizia's Battle Lines, who's a very talented designer we've talked about a lot. I'm going to be talking about the new Conan miniatures game, and <gasps> I know, it's... I'm excited to talk about that most of all. Maybe we should do that first. And I'm going to be talking about the Crystal Maze. Um, yeah. Which is to say, the real life Crystal Maze that I went to yesterday. Um, for our UK audience, I know it's an amazing story. For our American listeners, don't worry, we'll explain what the hell I'm talking about. Paul, what have you been playing this month? Um, oh, well, it's it's been the season of spooky things. <laughs> or it sort of, it kind of has been the season. I don't know. It's it's way more of a thing in North America to have a whole Halloween. You told me you hated Halloween, on. which is bullshit. Mm. Well, no. Okay, so here's the thing. I feel, I've always felt strange about dressing up and wearing things. And I even just clothes shopping, I'm not very good at. I get a bit stressed and confused. And so Halloween is like a whole season of like building up to wear something really good. You better look good. Don't look silly in front of people. And I never know what to do. Oh, no, man. I, I don't dress up. I just, I just watch uh, spooky films. I have spooky cocktails. Oh. I walk around at night and see if I can get mugged. You know, uh, it's the... I'm doing the wrong thing. I could do all of those. I don't buy into the campness. I buy into the spirit of fear, um, which is what Halloween should be, frankly. What have you been playing? I'm sorry. Well, it's fine. Uh, Touch of Evil, which is a spooky-ish kind of game. That's the old um, flying frog game, right? Yeah. Got a, a couple of things to say about that. Um, Dead of Winter, The Long Night. Mm. Very chilly zombies. The new... Uh, Dead of Winter sort of standalone expansion, perfectly good by itself, or you can mix it in with the original. Mm. Lots of Mysterium, which we've talked about loads before, but I'm not tired of Mysterium yet. Still good fun. It's the Mysterium, still great. 
not that spooky, but Hand of the King, which is this very small Game of Thrones card game, which I want to talk about for a little bit because it was quite good. And The Beast. Well, fittingly, is, yeah. Did, sorry, mm. I, I just remembered something. Did you say that Hand of the... Oh, wait, Hand of the King. Ah, I thought you were talking it's about... The, Behind Go the on. Throne, which is the new card game from the designers of Mysterium that I just got sent this week. <gasps> yeah. No, Hand of the King is is the Game of is Thrones tiny. Uh, game. Yeah. Okay, good. What should we start with? <laughs> I feel like we've just opened a huge can of of games. Oh, and they've sprung out. Goodness me. Well, so long as I wake up, uh, I I think the best way to produce AAA content, Paul, is for me to talk about. <laughs> Okay, so do I talk about the best thing first, um, relying on the fact that I'll be more awake later and we'll be able to make the boring things sound exciting, or do I not want to ruin the good things by talking about them now? I suggest you jump in with Conan, which is thematically like jumping in, because I know that you're going to have things to say about that. And we played it a bit at Gen Con. Yeah. and And then I will follow that with Hand of the King, which is kind of thematically similar fantasy stuff and we'll wing it from there sounds fantastic uh and of course we have our folk game of the month and we have our mailbag section waiting for you at the end of the podcast like uh, uh debtors so um <coughs> we we played we talked a bit about conan uh at the you end know, during our gen Con podcast that didn't record very well we also didn't talk about it that much um, but Conan was uh, a f- huge Kickstarter success story uh, last year yes. by French publishers Monolith. And it's just a miniatures game like Descent. Um, you know, one person plays all the monsters, which, well, not monsters. <laughs> let's let's backpedal there. Um, all of the humans and sort of subhumans, because Conan is the original source material, very, very racist. Um which is not hugely funny, um, and uh, th- but then one to four players play all of Conan's friends in a sort of hack and slash adventure. Um, and first things first, uh, it's really good. Um, I was fascinated about Conan when I first started. Um, <clears throat> uh, when I first started learning about it, um, which I think it was even before they launched the Kickstarter um, when we were at Gen Con two years ago. Oh, wow, was it that long ago? Yeah, we saw a papery prototype at the first Gen Con we went to, yeah. Um, And the two things it does that are quite interesting is on the hero side... Well, first off, everything has a system of stamina. So the whole game, uh, not fittingly for Conan, is powered by crystals. Everyone has these crystals, which I choose to interpret as each blue crystal on the hero side represents like one lung full of air, right? So if you do an attack that requires at least one mouth of air, but you can pour more crystals into an attack if you want. If you want to defend against an attack, that requires a crystal. If you want to move an right. extra space, that requires a crystal. It's a lot like Descent's Fatigue System. Um, but unlike Descent's Fatigue System, <clears throat> you only get a tiny bit back each turn. So while a game starts with the heroes all being fresh, as they, you know, if you run into a place that's too dangerous and all the enemies start attacking you, um, you can get winded almost immediately. And as you get hurt, you don't lose, like, hit points. You lose these crystals forever. <clears throat> right. Which can result and in... Here's a th- oh, please. Go on. Well, I was just going to say that it results in a very interesting and sad moment, um, which is, again, very fitting for Conan's, like, gritty and gory setting, whereby, you know, if you, if the, the bad player gets a Conan hero down to, like, one or two crystals, they can only do, like, one or two tiny things a turn. So, like, they are really just staggering around on death's door. Um, uh, you know, it's not like the traditional D&D thing where it's like, yes, I've been stabbed and shot through by five arrows, but I'm still exactly as dangerous as I was before. It's like, no, in Conan, if you beat someone up and they're close to death, they're close to death. And they have to make the choice of like, 
do they still try and be useful or do they back off on the off chance that you can maybe find a healing potion later I really liked this as well because it is so you have like these little player boards in front of you that have you know you put your little bit like uh, you know the Terra Mystica magic cycling thing you Mm. put your tokens on them and you just slide these crystals across to be like you know these are the potential I had or these are the ones that I've burned that I've used or these are the ones that are in the area that are saying that I'm I'm injured so you know they're off to one side and it's it's something you just immediately look at and you you know you apportion these things you count them you slide them along and it's so immediately easy to grasp it's such a simple idea and it's always a hundred percent apparent to you you know you look at your board right away and it's like this is going to cost you three crystals to throw a dagger or hit a dude or mm. something even the fact i like that it's so intuitive it's great and um immediately right out of the gate the thing with conan is that spending one crystal feels like a very important decision um because you only get so few back each turn and you're losing these um uh, sort of not just like over the entire course of the game like you might find yourself in turn seven if you have like no crystals left then uh, that's a terrible, terrible state to be in. And then that is combined by the fact that when you attack something um, or when you defend, before you roll any dice, you have to decide how many crystals to invest. So even just hitting someone with an axe, it's like, ah, oh, how hard do I hit? Like two, three crystals, four, five? Um, which means that Conan, fittingly for Conan, can kill anything in one hit. But the question is what kind of a state he'll be in afterwards. <clears throat> Um, it's great that you play all different scenarios in the in the game. Now I've actually got a copy. There are four different boards because uh, there's two double-sided boards, so you can play on boats and you can play in a castle, in a tavern brawl, in a village. I love castles. <clears throat> it's great. Um, the two things I'd say that are super cool about it that I can't wait to cover in more detail in our review because we will be giving this one a video review. It's really it's it's the best miniatures game I've played. Maybe all year, I don't know. Um, wow. I don't know, man. It's good. Um, the question is how much staying power it has because there aren't that many scenarios in the box. Well, that's that's the thing I wanted to ask you about is obviously it's you pull out... Like the thing we played at Gen Con was a sort of a village raid where we ran into a village. We had to search through all these different huts and there were chests to open and things. And there's an amount of uh, randomization there where there could be different things in different chests mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the... The GM kind of player could put, you know, do all sorts of different stuff with the monsters, arrange them in different ways. Well, immediately, but... unlike Descent, um, which is the closest thing we'd compare this to, the Fantasy Flight's yeah. excellent campaign dungeon crawl thing. Um, I've played, you know, one scenario of Conan so far. And actually, what I want to do is play it again, which is something that never happened to me in Descent, because I won as the bad guys. And I was like, but this is really interesting and the mechanics are so fun. Like, it has a lot in common with video games where a sure sign of a really strong video game is when you finish a level and um, then you're like, well, no, I, before we move on, I want to do this one again. Um, so that's great. <clears throat> but the funny thing I want to talk about is um, how the big difference between this and Descent is, and I don't think we did this at Gen Con, Paul. I think mm-hmm. our demoer might have, oh, I can't remember. Um, but characters don't like, it's not like Pandemic where you go, oh, I'll, I'll go first, Paul, and then I'll finish my actions, then maybe your wizard can go. Um, any Every single character action can alternate, <clears throat> which means, because of the way the rules for throwing stuff works, you've got amazing stuff where Conan might run into a space full of, like, five, um, you know, uh, sort of angry soldiers with swords. And he checks the chest, or like, and then he opens the chest and there's a crossbow. He can then throw the crossbow to his friend on the other side of the board, um, putting some crystals into that. Then we can swap over to that friend, and that friend can start firing crossbow bolts at the people in Conan's space. Um, 
And then Conan can move, and then the wizard can cast a spell, and this is where the tactics come from, because everyone can act in any order. Uh, right, yeah. No, I think there, there was an element of this, because we were basically negotiating how we're going to do this, who's going to go first. Uh, and with the... I think I remember, I could be misremembering, but with the whole, you know, burning crystals to do stuff, it felt there was a bit of a, like... Who's going to bite the bullet this turn, or who's going to be the person who has to put themselves out there? Mm, it's um, it's you know, really take a hit. Yeah, it's it's good, uh, and I I really need to reiterate that the rules for throwing objects between people is awesome, and it's like they came out of an American <laughs> football game because the amount of crystals required to th- like it basically requires one crystal to throw an object and another crystal to ca- and a crystal from the receiving kite to catch it um which is almost nothing so you can have the situation where Conan can run into a fight and then be thrown armor and then thrown his axe and then obviously melee weapons can be thrown around the board and uh it's it's very funny and um and I, we said this in our Gen Con podcast, but uh, greatest rule of all is that Conan can run through any wall for two crystals and create a permanent door that anyone can then walk through. Um, this is great. You know what? I am actually really... I, d- I don't want to sound too cynical, but we've had so many huge miniatures Kickstarters where we've looked at them and we've gone, you know, the miniature quality is really good and you get the feeling people are sort of mainly paying for it to get cool miniatures mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you look at some of these and you go the game behind it is maybe okay or not great exactly. or a typical dungeon crawler and this this actually seems to have turned out to have been a good game with good quality miniatures that is uh, novel and original and I'm, I'm really pleased to see that yeah actually. and the thing they did for the kickstarter that's so cool is um every expansion uh they basically threw a bunch of money at a famous designer i mean this isn't okay like they weren't cheap in this so the first expansion is got like croc and sipic who are two very famous french designers the next one they got bruno cathala in the one after that was uh, antoine bowser and ludovic marblanc um like these guys really really care and it absolutely shows in the game um <clears throat> I'm very interested to see how those turn out, and because you're such a you know an expansion addict, I'm sure we'll find out sooner or later. Yeah, Hasmodei seem to be releasing them. Um, but before we move on to all the other board games we're going to be talking about, um, I have got a hell of a job ahead of me in terms of um, how to deal with the like more problematic elements in this board game. Um, because obviously we took Blood Rage to task for having um, like a weird gender disparity in the miniatures um, where, oh, yeah. where the, the male Vikings look like men and look like Vikings and then the women Vikings look like strippers who aren't quite dressed properly like who got startled by a fire alarm and ran out of their house at three in the morning wearing nothing um, and then Conan is weird because like some of the female I think all of the females come from this like are just topless Um and then Conan is as well. And, like, the whole of Conan is, like, so on the one hand, Conan is all about weird body types for men and women. But then Conan is still male gazy and still more pleasing to, like, men than women. Um, I talked to uh, my wife, Lee, about this because she knows way more about feminism than I do. And she was saying that, like, well, in your review, you shouldn't necessarily say that something is categorically wrong uh, or bad because that's not what feminism is about. Feminism is about mm-hmm. being given the opportunity to discuss these things. Um, it's not about like blanket just condemning something. And I was like, okay, cool. Because the the past that I want to give Conan is that you know this is a this is a piece of history. You know, Conan was written in the 1930s, which was a different time. And then the board game, in just sort of like trying to be authentic to a deeply problematic piece of source material, you know, it's a very different proposition than if you create a setting which is problematic in 2010. 
Well, this is, I will be very interested to see uh, what you say about that because, and, and how all of that turns out, because it is, it feels weird because it's only like about 80 years ago, but that feels like a world away in terms of values and things that people think about. I mean, it was like, it's and three you, generations, you know. I suppose so, it is two or three generations. It feels, it feels like such a different time, and I... I can't help but wonder that if you're taking something like that on, maybe can you find ways to in some way alter that, in some way change that um, while still remaining fa- I don't know, is that fair? Is that a reasonable thing to expect? Yeah. Is I, that what people want? Yep, and also um, France does have, this is a French game, right? France has a very different attitude towards um, stuff like uh uh, like colonialism and nudity for art's sake um, but then that is further complicated by the fact that like for example French comics are some of the most like uh, um, I, I don't know what the, I say artistic but in the way that Americans can use the word European to mean like you know tits and stuff um, and that nudity is fine um, but then also French comics are like massively male dominated in a way that other comics aren't like it's it's a it's a giant uh, hornet's nest made all the more complicated because this isn't just about men and women like the original Conan comics were super racist like with like Chinese analogs and like the Chinese people are evil. Um, oh my word, man! It's yeah, like obviously some people think that shut up and sit down um, when a game is problematic. We we attack the game as part of because like oh well this game is bad depiction of women so we're going to attack the game it's not true we absolutely look at games in and of themselves and then separate and cover the problematic elements separately um we're going to be doing that with conan and for the reference i love the mechanics in this game um but also i would feel ashamed putting completely naked women in front of uh my female friends so and absolutely i mean it's it, i would feel i can't help it i would feel awkward playing that and i i have I think we both do. We have friends who would have seen it many times before and would accept it, or there might be some eye rolling, or you know, people who who would also turn up and still enjoy the game. But it's it's not even the elephant in the room. It's bigger than that. It's like it is a herd of elephants in your smallest room in your house. It's just unavoidable. We've got to. It's it's uh, it's there's no subtlety there, is there? No, but I mean, if there was ever going to be a board game with no subtlety, you know, the Conan board game seems like the place for it. So yeah, the review will be interesting. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. It's a great game. Can't wait to play more of it. Um, let's move on because we've been talking for like 15 minutes just about Conan. Uh, it's fine. It's interesting. So you played the new Game of Thrones card game from Fantasy Flight, which is called Hand of the King. Hand of the King, this is the complete opposite on the end of the art, by the way. I mean, the, the production qualities for, for Conan are very flashy, and you've got these um, this wonderful, all the you know depictions of characters, whether they're problematic or not, clearly there's a lot invested in this, and there's a sense of trying to bring this fantasy world to life. Weirdly, Hand of the King is incredibly cartoony in how it looks. That's the first thing you see. It's a small box card game. Mm. Box is about as big as the box for Skull, something like that, one of our favorite games. Um, And everything is done as like comic book characters, which is really interesting for Game of Thrones because it's usually so so serious and so... Gory um, and, yeah. And grim uh, and unforgiving. And then you have all these... uh, 
kind of comical caricatures of all these famous characters pulling faces. I mean, it's weird, isn't and it? And it works, it works quite well. It I does, kind of like it. Like, I completely agree that the, the caricatures are great, but it's funny because we have these books that feature, like, you know, depictions of, like, for example, rape. But Game of Thrones is such a big thing now that because everyone's watching Game of Thrones, we can do the cartoon thing, even though it's source material with, you know, like, you know, sex crimes in it. But, hey, cartoons, it's, it's fine. It's The thing is, I mean, it... I, I don't know. I kind of loved it. And... I'm all about uh, it. Yeah, I think it's great. It, it was a really good first thing for me to see, and it made me chuckle. Uh, and I didn't have very high expectations. Open the box. I, I knew that it was going to be a fairly simple card game. But actually, it's really pretty good. You lay out all of these cards that are all of these characters in a grid that I think is six by six on the table. And you and the other players take turns moving the Varus card, which is one of the key characters, around this grid. And as you go along, you hoover up some of the cards that correspond to whatever house you pick. How so are you, you trying to win? Pick like, uh, well, what you want to do is you want to grab a majority of house banners. Whenever you have the majority of characters from a house, you get the banners for that house. So if you if you go in a direction and you just say House Lannister this direction, you pick up maybe two characters. Um, and then at that point, you've got the majority of them, so the banner goes to you. But then someone else, you've moved Varys to a different spot in the grid. Someone else moves him again. And all the houses have different numbers of characters. Some of them have like six or seven. Like there are loads of Starks and then there's only a couple of Tully characters. So uh, they're rarer and they're kind of sort of more valuable because if you can grab the the banner for that, um, there's a very good chance no one will ever take it back from you. Mm. As you bump around the grid, the grid gets more and more empty because it's like have all these cars laid out in front of you. Obviously, they disappear so your choices start to diminish. And obviously, wherever you land, you know, as you send yourself in these directions, you can imagine where the other players are going to go from there. Mm. So it's very easy to extrapolate about what will happen next. And then once uh, all the characters from one house have been eaten up, maybe it's House Tully because there's only two of those, you get to pick a cool special character card. And there's a whole bunch of these. And you shuffle them, you lay some out. And it's um, it's basically a card that gives you a certain power, a certain special thing that you can do that is completely unique. And that's something like steal a card from someone else, remove a card from the tableau in the middle, um, something like that. And they're all, and I, again, I was surprised by this, but they're all weirdly thematic. Like there's a, a Jack and Hagar card. And if you grab that, you can kill three characters, which is basically <laughs> remove them from the game, which is what he does in the books. So you may have a player who is currently in the lead because they have a certain number of characters or someone who is clearly about to have a cool move because they'll race down the board and pick up a certain number of cards and you're like, right, no, I'm killing this one, I'm killing this one. And it cha- these things are all very subtle, but they completely change the dynamic of the game. And this in itself, it all fits into like 15 or 20 minutes of you picking up cards and trying to outmaneuver each other. And it works really well as a, as a tight game in itself, keeps you thinking... Uh, and always gives you like all the information you need in front of you, which I really liked. Hmm. You, you're never not thinking about every move. And that in itself I liked. And if that was the bottom line, I would say it's cool, it's fun. But Ooh. it's also got this four-player variant, which is basically Game of Thrones bridge, where you have you can have two teams of two people. So you're trying to collect the most banners between yourself and you know your, your fellow player by cooperatively playing, you know, you take turns, still go around the table. But, but, <laughs> you can't talk to each other. 
and you have these little raven tokens and if you want to talk about what moves you're going to make and who's going to go for what have to play a raven token go into the other room <laughs> with your teammate talk to them for like 60 seconds or 30 seconds i think the manual says 60 but i think 30 might be better and then come back and just sit and play in silence wow and this is it and this is a small box game that is um so quick but actually really quite clever and I, I, it's one of those things where I was really pleasantly surprised where I was just like, this would probably be fine. It'd probably be throwaway sort of nonsense between other games. And it just stood on its own as actually a really good thing with also a really cool bonus element. That, I mean, we always talk about how there should be more uh, co-op. I mean, team-based board games, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just realized how excitedly I sort of burst over that, but it's, it's been, it's just one of those things that you get in board games sometimes where you just, you don't know where the next surprise is going to come from. And it was, it was kind of one of those. No, I'm really glad, man. That is, uh, God, that's great. It's, uh, I saw you were excited about it. You got it. I mean, (laughs) I feel like the longer we do the job, this job, the less often it happens that we see a game, we get excited, we get it. And it's great. You know, I feel like there's more chaff in the way between us and actually you know because if you do anything for a living you start getting like inured to it um you do you do somewhat and i should point out it's also bruno cathala game which is uh potentially gonna already fall into my sphere of things i like because i'm i think i'm a little bit of a bruno fan that's good um I don't know. I get the two Brunos confused because I'm terrible with names. Um, yeah, there's a lot of Brunos nowadays. Yes. Uh, Bruno Fidu TV. <laughs> yeah, the, bo- the other Bruno, the bonus Bruno. Um, who I do like. Yes. Uh, I played Shot and Totten, <laughs> which I won't talk about for long, but um, it's Rhino Kitsia's Battle Lines, and ELO have a new beautiful version of it called Shot and Totten. Why has it changed its name? I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I'm sorry. it's 9 a.m. I got nothing. Um, not even a funny answer. So that'll learn you for making me, for trying to spike me an easy comedy answer. Um, Shot and Totten is a game. It, it's been rethemed as well. It's no longer the ancient world. It's like a battle in Scotland. Um, you've got these nine stones, which like demarcate the borders between your two villages. This is a two-player card game. Um, oh yes and rather than it being like a war between the Babylonians and the Carthaginians or whatever I don't know if that is even you know possible in history Um, but the plot is that um, one of your villages has like decided to just roll back one of the stones by like a couple of feet and in doing so like enlarge your territory but the other clan watches you do it and then there's just a big fight with you all trying to roll the stones back and forth it's very cute and the art is gorgeous. Um, all uh, uh, very exaggerated, very silly um, Scottish kilt-wearing stereotypes, but with loads of tiny little touches. Um, like one of the characters just looks like Zelda. Oh, no, it's not Zelda, but Link from um, The Legend of Zelda. And then you're oh, like, yeah, yeah. that looks a bit like Link from Wind Waker. And then you notice that um, his sword, is his wooden sword, looks like a master sword. And you're like, oh, my God. Um but yeah, the game is that um, you each take turns playing cards to one of these nine battle lines. <laughs> um, once you've each played three cards, um, then you see who wins. And basically you're making poker hands. Um, so like a straight beats a flush? No, a flush beats a straight. <laughs> you know poker. Oh, yes, yes. Mm. No, I'm, I think I played the original battle line a couple of years ago. And it's a similar thing of you, you're trying to... You can't win each of these face face offs either, can you? So you're trying to win as many of uh, 
the majority of them or as many as you can? Yeah, it's basically assembling nine separate poker hands, um, but you're assembling them exclusively using like cards that your opponent can see. Um, and you either have to, it's the first to win for, oh, that's my doorbell. I wonder if my wife will get that. I hope she will. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's wait. Is she going to move? Ah, oh, this is this is what marriage is, Paul. It's it's a passive aggressive waiting contest. I'll be back in just a minute or two. <laughs> now, so here's the the challenge. Here is to wonder whether I should just fill the time. Whether this will end up being broadcast, or whether we'll dump this. Because Quinn's obviously done, he's gone. He doesn't know. He's probably got a sign for something. There's going to be a chat with the postman. He'll be gone for a while. Probably don't know what that noise was. Strange noises now. Probably like 5, 10, 15 minutes even. Because if there's one thing he constantly does, can't avoid doing, it's talking to postmen. I don't know why that is. But I will say, a couple of years ago, I think at BGGCon or something, I played the original Battle Lines, which, yeah, had this ancient era kind of thing where you were basically trying to match sets of different units and you could mix and match them to try and make them as strong as you possibly can but at the same time you know you cannot win each one of these face-offs as you line up hands of cards so you can only do your very best to win the go for the battles that you know you can win and basically cop out the ones that are absolutely going to be a loss and as long as you win more of those ideally you win the game except you're constantly watching this these battle lines funnily enough evolve in front of you and your opponent's doing exactly the same thing has he come back into the room? Does he have a game package? Hello. Hi. I just fill <laughs> time by talking about battle lines by myself. Oh, God, were you? That's a... I don't know if that work or not. Um, I have no idea what you've said now. But, no, oh, I um, didn't think about that. Well, skip to the end. Um, we liked battle <laughs> lines. We thought it... Oh, we liked Shot and Tot. We thought it was amazing. Right up until we got to the end. Um, and then what you have to do Why? there... Why? Well... I'm out of breath now because I ran up the stairs. Was there, was there a package? <sighs> yeah, but for some for one of our neighbours. Mm. This is... Ooh, I feel very old all of a sudden. <laughs> Talking about <laughs> games and being out of breath is definitely not on brand for Shut Up and Sit Down. Um, I should mention we both had colds. Yeah. So actually we're both trash heap humans right now. Yeah, you can hear my nose being bunged up during the Istanbul review. Um, but yeah, the problem with the end of Shot and Ton is that... Um, you, because you want to be the first to collect three stones in a line or five stones across the board, being able to win battles like right there and then is really important because time is of the essence. But to do that, you have to be able to prove that your opponent cannot possibly beat the hand you just played because yes. your opponent can prevent a battle from being scored by not placing cards in there. Um, and to do that means counting every single card on the board. So... Yes. Um, in terms of a game where you play cards into different battles that I did like, that is from the same publisher that we haven't talked about and Shut Up and Sit Down yet, there's a game called Kenjin, K-E-N-J-I-N, um, which is by ELO, and it felt a lot more modern, a lot more fast and interesting, a lot of bluffing. Um, yeah, give Kenjin a Google and maybe pick it up if you want to treat yourself this week. So your your final sort of... You you were very excited, but you've dropped off on this. Yeah, no, Shot and Totten was great until the end, and then I went, uh, no thanks. Um, Interesting. I, I remember enjoying Battle Lines, but I 
don't know if I would play it a lot. Well, we had such a great time. Like it was what, a 20 minute game and we had a great time for the first 15 minutes and then a bad time for the last five minutes. And that is not a ratio that's good enough for coverage and shut up and sit down, basically. Um, let's throw back over to you. Uh, you played. Uh, I want to talk very briefly about Touch of Evil, actually. Yeah, if that's okay. Sure. This is because I, I'm probably going to say something similar to what you just said about Shot and Totten. I can't say that seriously, Shot and Totten. Mm. Touch of Evil is almost like a miniature Arkham horror. It's a uh, flying frog game about being in, I think, like some kind of New England village somewhere in the US in 18th century, and there is some sort of monster. You all have different characters who have slightly different skills. Um, and there is a big bad creature that you either cooperatively or competitively try to take down by visiting different locations in the village, finding clues, finding equipment. It's like Victoriana, right? Like sort of Bram Stoker's yeah. Dracula era. Yeah, and you can you can face off against things like that, like uh, like a vampire, for example. Um, so it's really useful if you happen to find a holy relic as you're walking around searching before you you know you fight the vampire in a showdown. Um, and again, a lot like Arkham Horror, everything is sort of timed. It, Arkham Horror has a doom track, which gradually increases as the game goes along to, uh, you know, raise tension and encourage you to do stuff because as the doom track gets higher, everything gets worse in the game, pushes you towards a conclusion. Touch of Evil has a thing like that. It also has this track that's constantly advancing um, that makes it cheaper for you to find and kill the bad guy but makes more and more worse things happen it has a very cool dynamic where there's a bunch of people called village elders and they're all these npcs who you can potentially enlist uh when you trigger the end game and they they can come along and help you fight and they're great except as uh, as time advances inevitably things happen to them like um they get revealed as traitors or they die hmm. they sort of just drop out of the game and it's like oh it's very cool obviously clearly i want to uh end the game as soon as possible because i'll have lots of potential allies that i could use but uh that's actually not a good idea because i don't have any equipment and i haven't uncovered enough clues or anything like that and it was fine and I didn't <laughs> so here's the thing I mean like I, I still think about Arkham Horror occasionally and we reviewed it we all do man no it's not bad and it's got some good things in but it's huge and overcomplicated and kind of really random Touch of Evil is much more distilled and it's much quicker and I like that um, but by being so much smaller if if there's anything that is really exciting about Arkham Horror it's that it's huge and it just burps up random nonsense constantly mm. which makes it kind of nuts whereas touch of evil by being smaller more contained and quicker just has less stuff in and there's like you know four corner locations and you're like oh well i've been to them all now i guess i could go to them again because you can carry i think one item from each location so i could go back to one of them and search for a while and see if i can find something better or I could go to the middle of the board where there are places where I can like roll a dice to increase one of my stats and that make me a bit better. And it's it's okay, but it wasn't hugely appealing to me. It was just a series of decks and stats and things that came together in a way that was a perfectly entertaining evening. 
and I feel awful saying this about games, but it was fine and I wouldn't recommend it. Man, that is better than saying it was bad and I wouldn't recommend it. Don't feel too awful. I mean, if people haven't seen what a flying frog game looks like, by the way, they are astonishing pieces of work because all the card art is like photoshopped photos of like uh, an affordable acting agency that works near flying frog <laughs> or something. So, they look- yeah, and that's nice, actually. It's kind of charming, yeah. And of course, but you from it sounds like Fortune and Glory, which is a giant game that, um, it, yeah, we, I mean, we reviewed that years ago now, didn't we? Like three or four years first ago, first episode is, of season two, yeah. Oh, god, it's like half the size of that. Um, and it doesn't have as anything like as much narrative, it has more like singular events happen, um. And again, like Harkamora, they're kind of a bit random where you, you draw an event and it's like the the mayor's gone mad and started shooting at people because he thinks you're all monsters. You're like, okay, that's fine. Well, Thematically, the- it sort of fits. It could fit somewhere in the narrative. It happens. You roll some dice. You're injured. Next thing. Yeah. The, um, uh, the, the, the co-op story game that everyone's talking about now that you and I are really cold on is, of course, um, Robinson Crusoe. Um, which I reviewed back on the site and went, yeah, no, um, because I didn't like how the puzzle was structured at all. People can find that if they search for Shut Up and Sit Down's Robinson Crusoe review. But now that's getting an expansion that everyone's talking about and uh, Portal Games have, or uh, or Ignazi, yeah, um, Ignazi has designed another very similar game to Robinson Crusoe called First Martians Adventures on Red Planet, which is almost coming out. Oh, yes. That's Robinson Crusoe, but you are on Mars. Da, 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 da. And yeah, the Martian with Matt Damon, right? Um, but I am pretty cold on that as well um, because anything... I liked the Martian with Matt Damon. I liked the Martian with Matt Damon. I liked reading the book and because the book expands on all of the um, uh, puzzles he has and walks you through all the things he tries that don't work. I really like it when um, I get to see talented people failing at something. Um, you know what I mean? Like people who are the best in the world at a thing, really thinking something out, and then making a very human, simple mistake. Yes, and then trying again. <clears throat> yeah, um, it's really good. Um, uh... Pax Pamir, Pax Pamir. Am I saying that right? Pax Pamir. Yeah. Oh goodness Pamir. me. So um, <clears throat> uh, now in our sort of uh, not twilight years, but <laughs> we're out of the. Se- it, it does sound like you're passing away. Uh- I'm really sorry. But it, it... <laughs> Um, maybe I am. Well, we're all dying, aren't we? Um, very slowly. <laughs> um, but these days, uh, we try and, or I try and cover designers that are talked about that we've never played any of their games before, because that mm-hmm. seems like a valuable use of Shut Up and Sit Down's time and donor money. Um, so, uh, yeah, Phil Eklund is a designer who is talked about in revered terms by some elements of the board game community. So I was like, I'm going to try a Phil Eklund game. Phil Eklund publishes games himself under his uh, publisher, Sierra, Sierra Madre Games. Um, and I believe he does all the art design himself. And it's not interesting, terrible, but it's very strange. Like... Um, He'll use all different fonts and images and he'll pack so much onto a single card. <clears throat> the games you might be most well known for are Pax uh, Porfiriana, which is a game, like a very complicated game about um, power and empire in Mexico with different factions um, working to uh, take control of Mexico in like 1910. Um, uh, 
I'm reading here. As a rich businessman in the turbulent pre-revolutionary borderlands of the US and Mexico, compete to build business empires of ranches, mines, blah, 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 blah. Um, but there is so much packed onto each card. Like there's a picture, there's history, there's art, there's different things. So the card can be used in different ways. So what you get is an unbelievably complicated war game that fits in the kind of box that you would keep coasters in. Like, it's so intense, wow. yeah. And then what I played, Pax Pamir, is the same thing, but for Afghanistan. And you all play um, Afghan tribes trying to figure out whether you should support the British or Russians or the local government as there's a war. And it was fine. <laughs> um, to skip to the end, um, we didn't finish our game of it because we all played it and went, oh, yep, this is really interesting. And I can absolutely see why no publisher other than, like, self-publishing would um, would pick this up. Um, because it was for the amount of rules involved it was the hardest thing I've had to teach in a long time it was like a half really? it was like a half an hour rules explanation for a for a box the size of Skull um, and we started playing and we're like okay here we go and then we realised that we just um, there was so much that was interesting going on and it was absolutely not entertaining at all the coolest thing is that um, you build up a, a tableau of <clears throat> cards like in Race for the Galaxy um, so like you know my Afghanistan's farming or this particular character um, it can the cards can represent anything from you know like cannons to places to people to concepts um, but then as you build up these tableaus that run around the table like in Race for the Galaxy or I can't think of another game you know like Magic the Gathering does the same thing um, you, there is a central board of Afghanistan but also there are spies and the way spies work is you put these spy cubes on a card in your tableau and then further spy cards let you move spies left and right. So mm -hmm. you can run these spies back and forth across your tableau, but the leftmost card in your tableau is also adjacent to the rightmost card to the player to your left, which means you can essentially you create a ring around the board of these cards, and then you can send your spy to like, I can send my spy to spy on your cannons, Paul. And then when you have spies on uh, your cards, then those spies can like bribe those cards away from you. So it's fascinating. You're creating a secondary board around the board of the stuff you've bought. And it even leads to tactics like um, uh, you might buy and acquire cards you don't need purely to create a buffer zone between your general and you know that tribe you don't trust that's sat to your left and right. Um, super interesting. Not very fun. I really, <laughs> but, um, hmm, I really like the idea of a board that gradually sort of builds and changes in that way. Any any playing space, like it's a thing that I've liked in certain Euro games where you don't just uh, like have your player board or something. You potentially expand your player board or add things onto it or or modify it. I've always thought that's a cool thing. Yeah, it's really interesting. And the other another interesting thing, and a whole game of interesting things, um, is that, like I say, you can support the Russians, English, or the local Afghan government. Um, the game's set in, like, oh, Christ, like, 1870. It's the age, the age of the great game, basically. Um, and... You, every player um, develop, like can have points in supporting Russia, the local government, or England. And the person with the most points is um, gets the card showing that they're the favoured Afghan tribe of this faction. Um, and then the way the game ends is one of those three factions gaining dominance. So, like, the Russians have absolutely won this war. And then the one player who has um, who's the favoured Russian tribe wins with them, Right. So Russia and England yeah. and the Afghan government aren't played by people. They're just forces that you all influence. But the bizarre thing this happens is we played with like five people is um, like you and one other person might be supporting the British and trying to get British dominance. But you don't want the British to actually win 
because then your friend wins and you don't because he's the one f- favoured by the British government. You see what I mean? Right. Yeah. Which sounds, again, sounds really interesting. And you keep saying really interesting, but something hasn't. Well, the clicked. main problem is that um, it is a it's a push pull situation where no one can really develop a satisfying board state. Because, for example, in that example I just said, um, so my friend has is the favoured tribe of the British. He wants then to secure that situation so I can't, like, quickly buy a thing in the last turn of the game that means I become the favoured British tribesman when the British win. So he then buys a card to get even more support from the British. But then if he gets enough support, I'll go, oh, well, you know, screw this. I'm now going to just get a card that means I support the Russians instead. When I join the Russian team and then the British get the crap kicked into them and, you know, like... It's constantly players just going, no, you can't win. No, <laughs> you know, and um, everything that is interesting about the game um, does not equate into what you are actually doing, which is a tremendously petty uh, tug of war. Um, and it's no fun to build up a board state and then just have it taken away from you, um, which is so much of what this game is. Like, yeah. Okay, okay. let's put it this way my glimpse into the world of Sierra Madre games was a glimpse into a world where all the mechanics are fascinating and it's a very intelligent designer who does not understand like how to actually entertain people you know what I mean um, which might sound uh, maybe cruel but the, so he has a space game called High Frontier um, a tremendously mm-hmm. complicated game to do with balancing fuel and gravity wells and, and colonizing yes, space. Yes, I've heard of this. Mm. Um, so for the Kickstarter, um, he worked with a different... He did, he did a Kickstarter to produce a deluxe second edition, rather, recently. Um, and I believe he was working with a different publisher or an artist or something. And the artist uh, went to Phil Eklund and was like, oh, hey, you know, well, you designed this yourself, but, you know, I've got all these different ways we can make the game look better. And Phil Eklund said no. <laughs> to, to, like, uh, it was just... It, they could not work out a way to replace Phil Eklund's art in a way that Phil Eklund was happy with. So that gives you... I mean, if you want to extrapolate that to the kind of man who designs a game, um, that is exactly what Pax Premier felt like. That sounds like a very acquired taste, like something very singular. And I, I bet there are probably people out there who enjoy it a lot. I don't know if I might. No, and that's why we won't be covering it or probably a lot of his games unless I hear otherwise. Um, but hey, it was an interesting uh, time to be alive in my life. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about... Um, uh, the, well, you wrote down a game here called The Beast, which I was like, oh, okay, I'll look that up on Board Game Geek, and it's not on Board Ooh. Game Geek. Ah, uh, okay, here we go. Paul, did you go off the grid? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, oh god, I'm I'm even squirming in my chair. So, I heard about The Beast through uh, something that we linked to in our own games news a while ago now. Mm-hmm. James Wallace, the games designer and publisher who I've had the pleasure of working with, but also knowing for ages, who's doing lots of stuff for a long time. He did a talk at Video Brains in London, which is sort of a uh, an event with lots of rotating speakers that is often about video games, but not always. Um, and James was doing this general talk about sex and board games. We linked to it in Games News a while ago. I thoroughly recommend everyone watch it. Because it's one, very interesting, and two, it's actually quite funny at times. He's a very good speaker. And he was talking about how it's been very clumsily represented in all of these games over time. And one of the games he talked about was The Beast. Hmm. 
Which it isn't which on can, Board Game Geek, am I right? It's it's not, as far as I know, it might... I don't know if it's on RPG. No, it shouldn't be. I mean, it's basically a card game. It's on drive through RPG or something, that site where you can oh, download okay. a lot of PDFs. Mm. Um, and it's only about 30 cards... Um, deck of cards and the thing is some of those cards are even just the instructions for how to play the game and what you should do and how long the game takes and I remember James talking about it ages ago and I was just looking around for different things to try out I re-watched his chat about sex and board games because I was linking someone to something and then I was like oh I should probably just get this because it's just $10 uh, and I can print and play it uh, Paul, what, did interesting... you, what happened? What did you buy? So, so right. I'm sitting just, down. Hang on. Good. Um, first of all, I would recommend people may maybe don't get if you can just buy the game. Buy the, don't print and play it. I think you can buy it and have it sent to you because the thing is, you're not <laughs> supposed to know what's on the cards. If you buy print and play, you know what's on the cards because you're assembling them. Mm. So I had to be very careful to not look at what was on all of these cards when I got them on all on this PDF file. So that was a bad idea. <laughs> but what happens is you uh, there is a beast is basically how the game begins. I'm gonna can I make a guess um, here before we go any further? Go on. Is it a sex beast? So I don't like to attach labels to people or beasts. <laughs> it could be a beast that you have sex with. Okay. And the idea is uh, you have to you draw one card per day. You have a deck of cards, you shuffle it, you put it somewhere, like uh, in my case, like on my desk. Oh, <laughs> I've heard of this. Have you, have you heard of this? I and think, every yeah. day you draw a card and it gives you like a question or a conundrum. Um and you have to write what happens in a diary. You do this for, I think, 20 or 21 days. 20 days, I think I did it for. Uh, and then at the very end, you get an end card, which was, in fairness, a bit of a surprise to me. I didn't, I hadn't seen it. I'd been good. And then there's uh, different things that can happen. But you, you basically record this secret diary. You're not supposed to talk to anyone about it or show it. And then at the end, you destroy it or you hide it with a game which i thought was a really interesting premise i'm not going to give away what was on any of the cards except the first card which most people know about and i won't go into too many specifics but i did want to talk about it because lame as it sounds i want to say again a bit like what you've just said it was really interesting, but I don't recommend it. Oh, really? So or, I, that, or that was going to be my first acquired. question. You don't recommend but, that people buy it. Well, uh, here's how it begins. You have sex with the beast, and it's a secret, the game says. And you have to answer opening questions about, like, what does it feel like? Um, how does it smell? Uh, and I think, where do you hide it? Oh, this, I've seen a little... the, the, this sounds like the movie um, oh, Possession, I think. Um, Ooh. A fantastically weird German uh, movie about a woman <laughs> having sex with a thing that sure isn't human. Oh my God, that's got Sam Neill in. I remember seeing that film, I think. Yeah, it's got oh. my, one of my favorite... Talk about a movie where I was not sold for all, almost all of it, but then the last two shots just made me fall in love with it. It's, it's, yeah, I just 
Yes, I want to tell everyone to hunt that out immediately. Completely off topic. But it was... You might like this. Other people might like this. People listening may want to give this a try. I had a deck of cards. I shuffled them. I pulled them out. And they presented me with questions. And I will tell you right away that starting the game was really hard. And it wasn't hard because it was edgy or because it was personal or it was pushing me out of my comfort zone. It's because it was asking me... It was making assumptions immediately or it was asking questions in a way that was like, uh, this has happened or, you know, you're in this situation. What do you do? And it felt like it was pushing a lot onto me and not giving me much to respond with. Okay. So there were times where I just drew cards and it was... It was like, really? Oh, I didn't think that that was even a, a possibility. Okay, um, I guess my answer is this. And I started occasionally, I would draw cards and I would just roll my eyes and go, what, what am I supposed to do with this? And I would, as the game says, record like a flippant answer occasionally or record some feelings. Um, and I just scribble stuff down here like, I found I'm answering questions in a flippant way. Um, or... Uh, am I subverting this question? Am I doing that already? Am I making this into what I want it to be? And the interesting thing is, to some degree, obviously, you throw yourself into this, and it actually got me thinking a little bit about relationships I've had with people and what I like in people and uh, what I do or don't share. And that in itself is kind of revealing mm. and useful because I had to throw a lot of myself into this and I had to think... What do my friends think about my partners? Um, what do I look for in a person? What kind of things might happen or what do I worry about happening? Or how will I deal with a surprise? Because obviously each card is a surprise. Um, and there were moments where if you've shuffled this, you know, you've just shuffled a deck, a couple of cards in sequence work really well one after another. And you're like, oh, that's happened. Oh, that's happened. And I just answered this. And now in that context, that looks amazing. But at the same time, also, just stuff comes out of nowhere and you look at it and you you don't know what to do with it because it's asking you maybe a personal question or just a question that is so left field compared to everything else you've said so far that you just... It, it's, a, it's a playing card-sized thing with a very brief statement and you feel like you have to do all the work. And so I got to the end of this and I got to the final conclusion that was a... Uh, tough and uh, interesting to wrestle with and I feel I don't know I, I recorded all of this as they s said I should and I came away and I feel like I had an experience that was interesting that I wouldn't recommend to people necessarily and I guess if you just listen to all of this and you're really intrigued you can give it a go but I, I it, some people are going to hate it <laughs> um, it reminds sorry but they are I... they're going to feel so so, uh, like, underwhelmed. I was doing some stealthy Googling about this and trying to think, because it reminded me of something, and um, I found it. It was something that uh, Avery McDaldno, creator of uh, Monster Hearts, put on, mm. her, put on her Patreon page um, yeah. as a thing for backers. But it's called Brave Sparrow. I mean, I, we don't know much about RPGs. I'm sure there's lots of games like this. And do post a comment, um, if, or, or better yet, email contact at shutupandsitdown.com and we'll answer your email or maybe read it out on the next podcast. But um, it's called Brave Sparrow. And it's kind of a game you play in tandem with your real life. And it's to do with... Um, it's, I, I hope I'm not misremembering this too badly. But essentially, you're a sparrow who's been turned into a human. 
Um, so you still play Paul Dean, for example, but your Paul Dean is was secretly a sparrow once. And to turn back into a sparrow, uh, you have to do like uh, nice things to strangers. Um, and there's other stuff to do with the theme where, um, oh no, the PDF link doesn't work anymore. <laughs> oh no. Oh wow, I'm flying blind here. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's, there's. Fly blind. Like Brave Sparrow. Okay, Brave Sparrow, uh, buried without. So yeah, if you just Google um, Brave Sparrow, good, you can still find it. But it's stuff like if you see, um, oh my god, the. Okay, maybe this just doesn't exist on the internet anymore. Uh, so it was stuff like, if you see a bunch of feathers on the ground because a bird has died, take a moment and think about your dead friend, basically, or like your, your dead comrade, you know. Um, so you have to live your life a tiny bit differently, but mostly it's about being a brave sparrow, about doing things that would be brave for a sparrow, but, you know, noble for a human. And, and then if you do that, mm. then eventually you can get your wings back, basically. Um but I like the idea of these little uh, analog games that, that tie into your real life. You know, I think they're so cool. And if people haven't, then they should definitely go back and listen to the uh, Watercast, where Paul, myself, and uh, my wife played a water gun assassination game that lasted a month. Um, because again, it wasn't quite fun, but was so interesting. It gave it certainly gave us something to talk about, and I mean that's the thing with with the Beast is. I guess I can talk about it without giving it away. And there's definitely, I don't know, stuff. There there were cool moments and there are also moments that just fell flat. And maybe some of that's on me, but I really wanted it to help me build the narrative a bit more. And I felt it, it, it didn't do that that well. And I like to think I'm a creative person who usually <laughs> actually does, if you give me a springboard I could jump off it and occasionally it did and occasionally it didn't mm. I should talk a bit about the crystal maze before we move on to male and folk go on then uh, it was pretty good I'm doing exactly what I did uh, in the crystal maze actually so the crystal maze was a UK game show about running around a giant sort of labyrinth full of rooms and the rooms are games um, it's very idiosyncratic because the presenter who guides the teams of contestants around the Crystal Maze, um, was the weirdest guy. I mean, there's not even a parallel that you can you can use to describe him. He would, like, play musical instruments while badly while contestants were trying to play games. He was camp um, and had a weird relationship with his mum, which was a subplot in the Crystal Maze. Um, anyway, Google it if you, if you want to figure out what the hell I'm talking about. But... Um, it was recently kickstarted here in the UK, um, and some people built an actual crystal maze so that people can actually run around in, off the back of the fact that escape rooms do quite good business now. So, yeah, I guess it was basically like a whole bunch of escape rooms originally, right? Uh, was it? I'm not sure. Oh, what, you mean the original show? The original show, yes. Yeah, because you get into a room and you have to solve a weird mystery. In fact, yeah, that's pretty much exactly what the crystal maze is, right down to the fact that if you don't leave the room in time, you get locked in, and then that's sad. Um... But uh, yeah, it was good. The, it was really quite good. It's too expensive for what it is. Um, but if people do have £75 burning a hole in their pocket and want to run around uh, in London doing incredibly weird puzzles, um, that's good. I did a, the, I did a physical um, puzzle, which 
is the reason I'm bringing this up now because um, what you had to do is you had to like cross a, ro- a rope bridge and then swing across a bunch of monkey bars and then cross like these rolling wheels by hanging onto a piece of rope and then you get to a pile of eggs and then you can put the egg in a net and then use a pulley system to move the egg across the room. Massively difficult. That's exciting. Yeah, it was great. Um, but because there was a time limit and I had my whole team watching, I was working so hard. And I'm like not an unfit guy usually. You know, I do exercise all the time. But I was like so out of breath. And the thing that my team told me, including the, the host who led us around the maze, was that supposedly while I was going around this room, I was so full of adrenaline, I don't remember this, but apparently I was complaining the entire time. <laughs> like <laughs> while doing these um, these heroic acts of swinging across things and, and picking up huge eggs and putting them in nets and, and looking in my head like Errol Flynn. Um, apparently I was just being like, oh no, not, oh come on, this, really? Um, through gritted teeth and, and trembling and shouting and shaking like I was having the worst time and the guy said that uh, he'd never seen anyone like look like they were having less fun um, so it turns out that in oh intense cinematic situations I just become like a ferocious dad uh, is what I learned in the crystal maze that first of all that's amazing second I have to admit as I get older Occasionally, I don't know if I'm talking to myself in my head or in real life. And I think most of the time it's in... But I'll be like, I'll walking walking down the street and I'll say something very quietly. Uh, and it'll be an observation about something that's going on or it'll be the end of a conversation in my head. <laughs> so here's another thing that's happened recently. I've just done a bit of dog sitting. So I've been walking my neighbor's dog. Which is fine, because I can do that. If you've got a dog with you, people think you're just talking to the dog. (laughs) But I now need this all the time, because if not, I'm just walking around saying, like, uh, I need some bleach. Which isn't really weird, but if... There might be someone behind me on the other side of the road, and they're walking, and they're a normal person. And then the man on the other side of the road... To nobody says, I need some bleach. It's just a bit strange, isn't it? Do you do the thing where you have imaginary arguments uh, with people in your head? Like people maybe you don't like very much or people who you're in a bad mood with. And then you imagine having quite a serious argument with them and all the clever things you'd say. Uh, You know what? I used to do that. I don't know if I get that so much anymore, but I know exactly. I've got people outside shouting. It's 2 a.m. That's That's strange. Um, I can have an argument with them. Um, (laughs) No, I used to I used to get that when I was younger. I don't think I do it so much now, but I know exactly what you mean, because I think the younger uh, version of me used to rehearse some of those or or try and articulate them or things. Yeah, we are. It's good to know that we're getting stranger as we get older, though. But you were doing this in the crystal maze. Yeah, I don't want to talk about That's it. That's amazing to me because I like the idea that that, that <laughs> potentially if you'd been on TV, that would have just oh been on TV. Oh my God, TV can you imagine if I'd been on TV, really I would have been the guy. Because I did the challenge. I did like this ludicrously difficult physical challenge, uh, if I do say so myself. But like, I was doing it like, a man at a steel foundry or something <laughs> just you know it's the, his last the game show where you the, the physical one where people are always jumping over obstacles and they have to avoid things that swing at them well, it's a it's a knockout or um uh takashi's castle 
Yeah, Takeshi's Castle. I'm just trying to imagine that, but the person walking through it going, oh, why, why? No, not um, like, why is this a diff- why Like is they're that, on a what? commute, yeah. I would... I would love that. Yeah, like I think the first um, the first thing that happened when I stepped into the, the the room, the puzzle room, is that the initial like rope bridge that was separating me from the floor that I couldn't touch was um, was like really wobbly, like way wobblier than I expected. And I think as soon as I walked in, I took literally one step into the room and went, "Oh come on!" Um, <laughs> as if this room wasn't designed to be like a, a dick. Um, there was a really good uh, one of the puzzles is. Uh, essentially just a big uh, barrel like a wheel um uh that was on tracks so like a barrel on its side and yet someone has to get into the barrel and then roll it down the, down the track um and uh we, you're given a helmet before you do this and um there was a girl in our group who got given the helmet, put the helmet on and the barrel rolls away so once the barrel rolls away from you you can't see inside it anymore as a spectator um, but all we heard is this clump and then the helmet fell out of the barrel um, so we had no idea what had happened but somehow the helmet had come disentangled and there was something very sad about seeing the helmet the barrel roll away heroically with the girl inside and then a thump and the barrel stops moving and the helmet falls out it was uh, I would have loved to have seen that on TV it was a, you know? it was a good day actually Put your hand in the mailbag. Funny letter. Ooh, let's reach into the mailbag. It's nice and deep. Uh, if you ever want to email Shut Up and Sit Down, uh, email contact at shutupandsitdown.com. Uh, we now get so many emails that I cannot reply to all of them, which is something I used to do for the first few years of our site. But rest assured, someone from Shut Up and Sit Down will read everything you send us. So uh, stick that in your outbox and smoke it. Uh, today's email is from Toby Liggins, continu- wow. continuing the discussion about vegetables we had last week, or last month rather. Uh, Toby writes, Gents, following your enjoyable aside on the subject of vegetables, please find an opportunity to extol roasted cauliflower. It transforms that little bitter idiot into something glorious and crunchy, all with the addition of olive oil, salt, pepper, and 25 minutes at 200 degrees Celsius. Uh, asterisk, and the asterisk says, always use fresh, not frozen. The world needs to know. Regards, Toby Leggins. That you know what that um, sounds really good. I I like cauliflower in a variety of contexts. So I obviously Toby is wrong, but he's uh, he's right. I mean, good cauliflower is onward absolutely amazing. I had a depressing yeah. thing recently where um <clears throat> we'll we'll move on. <laughs> Sorry, in a, in a moment um, where <laughs> I was. It, the, the reason Paul's laughing, people at home, is that just before we recorded this segment, I went, this will be really short, Paul. We'll just do it and move on. And now I'm such a twat that I'm now talking about this. But for about a decade, um, I had fun when I was drinking, asking people whether cauliflower was a vegetable or a fruit. And they would think about it and say vegetable. And I would go, wrong, motherfucker. It's a flower. Um, turns out that's not true. I found that out last month. Um, it's actually Wikipedia classifies Ooh. it as a vegetable. Um, I know I've been spreading disinformation how many years of that do you have to make up if we if we have to consider that every person I told told like one or two other people I'm in deep shit folk game of the month moving so swiftly on to our folk game segment we are looking uh, this time at two different folk games described to us by Quins? Uh, Mr. Tim Schaefer, creator. You, you made a noise. I thought you wanted to come in there. Oh, no. Did I make a noise? It's like the crystal maze all over again. 
<laughs> oh god what has happened to us yes mr tim schaefer get a incredibly storied uh storied games creator of games with notoriously well-known stories um got in touch with us and described two what i thought were really kind of interesting improvised basically pencil and paper games yeah that he played as a kid uh we're not going to read out this whole email because it's too long uh but we will describe the games to you uh and also if you if we should let's name some of tim schaefer's games paul because people might have played them if they've played monkey island i my my knowledge of adventure games is so thin why don't you do he played he did he was on psychonauts right yeah, absolutely. And the, the uh, extremely famous Double Fine Adventure Kickstarter that really kicked off video games kickstarting, uh, what was it, four or five years ago? I am so old. If people want to be impressed uh, at how cool we are, they should definitely check out Tim Schafer's, um videography on Wikipedia. Um, but yeah, so the first um, uh, <clears throat> game Tim sends in begins... Um, I learned this first game in 1977. Star Wars had just been released, and I was in the fourth grade. It was the greatest year of my life. Um, let's call the game X-Wings and TIE Fighters. I hope being a licensed property doesn't disqualify it as a folk game. My dad says he used to play the exact same thing, but with Red Baron-style biplanes. So feel free to pretend I never brought up Star Wars at all. Um, basically, the way this works is startlingly close to the X-Wing miniatures game, um, which was, of course, based on the Wings of yeah. War system. Um, but played on graph paper with pencils. But essentially, um, the way it works is you draw uh, an X-Wing and a TIE Fighter or biplanes or whatever, and um, on either side of the paper, and then you just, on your turn, you decide whether to move or shoot. And there's a bit of dexterity here, because if you pick movement, then you place your pencil point down in the center of the ship, so you're touching the nib of the pen pencil in the middle of the ship. Then you put one finger on top of the pencil vertically, um, so it's balanced up like a column, and then you apply downward pressure and tilt the pencil back as if you were pulling a lever. Um, and then eventually the pencil will, uh, like gravity will do its thing and the pencil will slide off the ship. And that line, however far that line goes, um, and in whatever direction, is where the ship ends up. So rather Which than using sort of a- like It's a mini dexterity challenge? Mm-hmm, I think so. And then to shoot, um, the, the cool thing is because the... Because the ship will always... You redraw the ship and the ship will end up um, drawn wherever the line ends, right? Um, You redraw the ship. But to shoot, all you do is place the pencil down and um, it fires directly at the front of the ship. Um, (laughs) And uh, Tim writes, For the X-Wings, this means you pick one of the four endpoints of the X. For TIE Fighters, they seem to materialize in thin air brackets space under the cockpit. Um, It's true. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, accuracy is very important with licensed properties, so get it right. Um, and that's basically a game. You fly around, you shoot each other, and uh, you don't need to spend lots of money on expansions. You know, I'm sure you can just. You know, I was immediately inspired by the, like we talked about this briefly at GDC with Tim, uh, and it just reminded me of of stuff at school that we. I'm sure I did when I was at school, which is you end up drawing stuff on paper, and it becomes this the, the most honky, shonky. Don't know what word I'm looking for. You know improvised nonsense where you are just flicking things around and Paul's honky nonsense (laughs) but it's so much fun for some reason it is so much weird stupid fun to have just a pencil and an eraser or whatever else and be um you know trying to draw these lines flick because we did this at school I'm sure I did something kind of weirdly similar to this 
Okay. When when you are in a lesson and you're bored out of your mind, and if the teacher doesn't know what you're doing, they just think you have a pencil and paper and that you're being productive. <laughs> it's the ultimate stealth game. Uh, I met the Pip, of course, wrote that amazing article on card games for us this uh, this month, and I never talked about. I meant to comment, but I didn't have time. Um, the card game that uh, that we used to play at school, which is cheat. Uh, which was so... The cool kids were allowed to play cheat because it was a game where you were supposed to cheat and get away with cheating. Um, but I was not dexterous when I was a kid and so could never play. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I, will... I no idea where that came from. I'm sorry. I'll read out the second one that Tim sent us and then I will tell you a very brief also school story which is now in my head that I can't... I'd have to get this out and see if anyone else did this. Um, the second game he describes is Graph Paper Race, which actually sounds like a mini mathematics thing. Um, yeah. On a sheet of graph paper, he says, draw a racetrack, two lines showing the edges of the track, about three quarters of an inch apart, probably doesn't matter. Make sure it has a variety of turns, draw a finish line, label the horizontal edge the x-axis and the vertical edge the y-axis. Another piece of paper, make two columns, one for XY, speed of player one, the other for XY, speed of player two. Your starting speeds are zero, zero, which is like, a you know, kind of in a coordinate fashion. Mm. And then on your turn, you change one of the numbers representing your speed by one unit. So you can go from like zero, zero to zero, one, or from five minus eight to five minus seven. Um, and all this depends on how you drew your track. And the idea is these are going to be your movement. It's going to affect how your car is drawn as it moves around this track. And the thing you, you draw, obviously, a line from your old position to the new one, but you can only ever increment things by one or zero. So it's great to be flying down a straight and trying to increment that number higher and higher. But... Uh, he says you might keep accelerating until you're at like minus five zero before you realize a turn's coming up and you have to slow down, but you can only slow down one unit at a time, minus yeah. four. Minus uh, and that's he, good. he goes on to say he's sort of described like a formula day kind of thing, which is kind of true. Because yeah. you've got to be thinking ahead about when you're braking and when you're turning. And it actually, I mean, I I know now that like I wouldn't play this and be stoked about it but as a kid it does sound like a cool thing to do with your graph paper in a class again particularly if the teacher isn't looking this all this does is i feel like this is uh it's alive with potential you know this thing of approaching turns and slowing down and it's weird to me because we played formula d which uh people don't know that's a game where you roll dice but every time you gear up you get to roll a bigger dice um but it doesn't quite work. It's just a very old game. And I feel like the time is so ripe for a someone to come up with like a different race game that works very similarly to that. Hmm. Like, it's hmm, just okay. so fun gearing up and going down straights and then gear down and don't crash. Except if you're playing Formula D, then you crash and you just stop playing the game. <laughs> That's it. It's over. That's You know what? I'm wondering if someone out there can come up with a really cool mechanic for acceleration for t- and for things like pit stops and... Maybe some, you know, rudimentary damage and repair things. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, <laughs> the time... I just want to race some stuff. I think uh, it's been a while since I've raced something. I should, uh, I should... We should do some racing. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. 
sorry, I, I, my, my brain appears to be leaking out of my ear. <laughs> why don't we sign off with, uh, why don't you describe the next video that you're working on that people can look forward to? Oh, I was going to keep it a secret, but okay. I have oh, acquired... Oh, no, man, what, I ooh. don't... Ooh, 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 why don't we just... Ooh. Why don't we keep it a secret then? I, all right, I'm going to buy some set decoration and uh, some spooky stuff and see how many people I can cram around my table. And uh, uh, mm, that's, I guess, all I'll say, and it will be seasonally appropriate. Fantastic stuff. I love Does that doing... work? Does that make sense? That is perfect. Uh uh let's 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 wrap this up thank I'll be you honest i'm gonna take so many drugs now this this i, I will not be filming with a cold i'm gonna kill this thing just flatten it Bye. dad uh thank Bye. you very much for listening to the shut up and sit down podcast everybody if you're not aware we are a whole big website that does videos and written reviews and all kinds of other stuff that you can find at shutupandsitdown.com Thank you for listening, particularly to our first ever ill podcast. I don't think we've ever been ill on a podcast before. No, two of us at the same time. It's like our um, immune systems have synchronized, which Mm. probably means we're best friends. There we go. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) 